Well, here we come to the end of our series on the book of Revelation. We will be in chapter 22 this evening. If you would like to turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 22, and our sermon text will be found there. Allow me to briefly recap what we've seen up to this point. We have seen the revelation of Jesus Christ, not just the vision that comes from His mind, but it is the unveiling, the revelation, the apocalypse of who Jesus Christ is. And throughout the book of Revelation, we have seen that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the Lamb that we are following out of the old creation into the new creation. Throughout the book of Revelation, we have seen that Jesus is the shepherd king who reigns and rules over the nations of the world and over his people. And in these last couple of weeks, we have seen the place that Jesus, the Lamb of God, has prepared for all of His people. He invites us, He calls us, and beckons us to come into this new heavens and new earth. He calls us and pleads with us to leave the old things behind and to come into these new things. To make our dwelling with God in the new city, the new temple, in this new garden that is being restored by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. There's one section at the end of Revelation that we need to deal with, and this has to do with the second coming of Jesus Christ which on the one hand is a terrifying prospect for those who do not trust and obey Jesus, but for us who do trust and obey Him, it should be a time of great celebration and anticipation. Tonight we are going to see the return of the King in Revelation 22, 7 through 16, and then 18 to 21. If you are willing and able, I encourage you to stand for the reading of God's holy word as we look once again at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word of God reads, And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers the prophets and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. 
Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the Holy Spirit city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. And that is the word of Jesus Christ. May God add His blessings to the reading, the hearing, and the preaching of His word. And all the church says, Amen. You may be seated. We're going to take a look at four things primarily in this vision from the book of Revelation. We will look at the proclamation of Jesus, the revelation of Jesus, the exhortations of Jesus, and the benediction of Jesus. In order to do that, we're going to have to piece things together and look at them one at a time. And we will spend most of our time looking at the revelation of Jesus and the exhortation of Jesus. But notice in this revelation that three times Jesus says, I am coming soon. Behold, I am coming soon. Behold, I am coming soon. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. And when he begins with this proclamation, the first question we should ask is, Who is the one that is coming soon? He doesn't tell us right away, but it gets our attention that someone of majesty and glory and power is coming, promising to come, threatening to come but who certainly will come. What stands out to many people is the fact that this person says, I am coming soon. I am coming soon. And the Greek word for that is a word from which we get our word for taxi. Coming soon, meaning coming without delay, coming by surprise, coming suddenly, coming readily, quickly, speedily. And those of us who know that this book was written some 2,000 years ago might be scratching our heads and wondering, if you're coming soon, what's taking you so long? From our point of view, it's been quite a long time since he made these promises to come so quickly without delay. I'm coming soon. The first hearers of this vision, the first ones who saw these things, might have thought that any moment now, any day now, he will be here. And that is part of what he had in mind for them. But those of us who are living so far away from the original revelation of these things might be wondering, and rightly so, what is taking you so long? Where are you? Or as some scoffers would say, where is this coming he promised? Things continue to go on as they always have. There are wars and rumors of wars. There are earthquakes. There's upheaval. There's poverty. There's chaos. There's trouble in the world. Where is he? Why is he taking so long? 
Well, let me remind you of something we saw a couple of weeks ago. Remember when we looked at Revelation 20 and we had the issue of time and how much time is unfolding there. We learned in our exploration of that vision that time is relative to God. It feels absolute to us, but it is relative to God. And the scriptures make it clear that to God a thousand years is like a day. And so from that point of view, we might say it's only been like two days since Jesus promised to come soon. And I say that tongue-in-cheek only to remind you that God views time differently than we do. He is coming soon, but from His point of view, whatever that means to us, it may feel long or short, but the Lord is coming soon. Soon to the Lord seems like later to us, but... We can trust that He will keep His promises. In these proclamations, we don't know who is making the promise right away. We're hearing this. Remember, we're hearing what John saw and wrote down. So we might ask, well, instead of wondering about when this person is coming, let's ask who this person is. Who is coming soon? Who is coming suddenly and quickly? And the answer appears later in this vision, and we see that the answer is Jesus. As we shift gears and look at the revelation of Jesus in this vision, I want you to notice the things that Jesus says about himself and how he reveals himself to us in this vision. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He refers to himself as Jesus. He's the one who sends an angel to testify about these things. He calls himself the root and the offspring of David. And so he describes himself in all of this Old Testament language, Old Testament terminology. Why does he do this? Because once again, he is showing us as he reveals himself to us in the revelation of Jesus, in this book of visions, that all of the scriptures are driving towards him, centered on him. All of the scriptures are about him. All of those neat little phrases and obscure references are all about Jesus. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the A and the Z of language, of of our education, of the way we think about the world. He is the first and the last. He is the beginning and the end. He is disclosing here that He is the Eternal One, that all things are from Him and through Him and to Him, that all of human history, all of this story is about Him, and He is the bookends of it. He is the I am that I am, the Eternal One, the source, the means, and the end of all things, for whom and through whom and to whom is everything. He calls himself Jesus, which to us sounds just like a name. And yet, as we look at the biblical story, we see that Jesus means Savior of the people. He reveals himself to us here in the context of his coming again as Savior. The Lord saves. He is the true and better Joshua who is leading his people out of the wasteland of the old creation into the promised land of the new creation. He's leading us into the new heavens and the new earth, the new Eden, the new city, the new temple. 
He is bringing us all the way home in Himself. He refers to Himself as the root and the descendant of David. And if you pause for just a moment and think about what that means... It means that He is the true and better David, the true and better King of God's people. But it also means that He is claiming to be the origin of the royal line of the kings, but He's also claiming to be a descendant of that same royal line of the kings, thus making Himself King of kings and Lord of lords. When Jesus reveals Himself to us, He reveals Himself in these very picturesque and graphic ways. He wants us to understand that He is more than just a man. He wants us to see Him as King of kings, Lord of lords, the eternal one who reigns and rules over all things. And all of these images that He's given to us throughout the book harken back to the prophets and the Psalms. And I'll give you an example here. The prophet said, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth." For he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. When he says, I am the root and the descendant of David, he is telling us that he is the realization of what the prophets said he would be. He is this very wise, just, and merciful king who operates in the power of the Holy Spirit. The psalmist also said things like this about Jesus. The psalmist saying, in fact David saying, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. So Jesus is describing Himself as the fulfillment of all of the prophecies, of all of the promises that God's Spirit had given to the prophets in the Old Testament. That God is faithful and true and has kept His Word in sending Jesus as the Savior of the world to rescue His people from sin and death, to redeem a people for Himself with His blood, from every tribe and language and nation and people under heaven. And these are the people that Jesus has gathered and is now leading in to the new heavens and new earth. He's described here also as the bright morning star. And this is a third way to say the things we've already said, that He is the ruler whom the prophets foresaw arising from Israel to conquer the nations. You have to go all the way back to the book of Numbers, and you actually get this revelation from the mouth of a false prophet who was speaking God's truth. All truth is God's truth. And even the false prophets sometimes say true things, as was the case in the mouth of this prophet when he said of Jesus, I see Him, 
but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall arise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir also, his enemies, shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly, and one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of cities. Jesus is the bright morning star that even false prophets saw would arise against their will, against their wishes, against their desire. And nothing can hold back the sovereign grace and mercy of our God. So Jesus comes with all of His sovereignty and majesty to rule over the nations of the world. All of these images together, this revelation taken together, means that Jesus is the all-powerful one. Earlier in the book of Revelation, He is described as the Pantocrator in Greek, a very fancy way of saying He is the all-powerful one, the almighty one. No one else has any power greater than Jesus. He is the sovereign Lord and the majestic Savior. So when He speaks, we must listen, and whatever He wishes is our command. And that brings us to the exhortations that he speaks to his church here in Revelation 22. He has said to us three times, establishing the fact, I am coming soon. Three witnesses. He reveals who he is, the I am who is coming. He is Jesus, sovereign Lord and majestic Savior. In light of this truth and reality that Jesus is coming soon, suddenly, without delay, what must we do to prepare ourselves for His coming? We are not doomsday preppers. We're weird, but we're not that weird. There's no need for us to stockpile water and beef jerky and bags of rice and beans and canned foods and packages of band-aids and bottles of alcohol. If you want to prepare, if you want to be a prepper for the coming of Jesus Christ, all you need to do is obey the words of Jesus Christ. And this is what Jesus tells us. I'll give you a few words. He says, watch. Keep the words of the prophecy of this book. He says, I warn, I witness everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. In other words, he is very serious about what we do with his word. We do not have the right to go through the Bible and pick and choose what we like and don't like. Pick and choose what we'll obey and not obey. We have a responsibility before our sovereign Lord and majestic Savior to heed his word. This is an echo of God's covenant treaty with His people. You could find this in the book of Deuteronomy. So Jesus is echoing something He's already revealed to His people in in a different way. And here's what He said early on to Israel. 
Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them that you may live, and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you." You see the connection that as Israel prepared to go in to take possession of the land God promised them, they were exhorted by God to keep His Word, to do His will, to live by every word that came from His mouth and not by bread alone. Fast forward to the end of Revelation and what do we see? We see that we too are being exhorted by our God to keep His Word, to do His will as we take our places in the new heavens and new earth. So the first exhortation is watch, keep the words of the prophecy of this book. Second exhortation is worship God. Worship God. Jesus taught us that God is seeking worshipers who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Piggybacking on that, I want to say that we need to make every effort to gather with Christ's church in the spirit on the Lord's day. That means we need to flee the counterfeit gods around us, the counterfeit gods of money and sex and power. We need to flee the corrupt idols of politics and sports and religion. We need to make every effort to worship the Lord our God and serve Him only. This is an exhortation. This is how we prepare for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We gather on the Lord's Day in the Spirit to declare the praises of God, to hear God speak to us in His Word, to feast at His table. This is how we prep for the coming of the Lord Jesus. We cannot take this lightly. We cannot take it casually or assume that it's okay if we lay this aside. No, we are exhorted to worship God and to worship God alone. God is seeking worshipers. He's looking for people who are doing this very kind of thing. And one reason God looks for people who are doing this very kind of thing is because those of us who are gathering together on the Lord's Day are indicating to God that we are in fact seeking Him. We're not playing a game of hide and seek with God. We seek and we find. He seeks and He finds. We all find what we're looking for. And so worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Third exhortation, wash your robes. Wash your robes. Now, what does that mean? Let me start at the, the beginning and move forward. If you have not yet been baptized, you need to get baptized. Plain and simple. This is the beginning of when your robes are washed. If you've not yet repented your particular and personal sins, even your private sins, repent. Let them go. Tell on yourself to the Lord. This is how we wash our robes. If you do not yet put God's Word into practice, change your habits. If you don't pursue holiness the way you ought, repent and pursue holiness. If you're afraid of enduring hardships for the faith, ask for courage. If 
you've been ashamed of Christ or the gospel, shame on you. But clean up that mess. Remember that you are living in light of eternity. And eschatology, the end of all things, is what is shaping your life. And what should be shaping our life now is that Christ has promised to come soon. So we don't have time to play around and say, I'll get around to it tomorrow or the next day or maybe in a few years when things are sorted out. Then I will take seriously this work of washing my robes and cleaning up my life, of pursuing sanctification, holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Wash your robes. In context of Revelation 22, we might say, wash away your superstitions. Wash away your sexual immoralities. Wash away your life-taking and your lie-telling. Wash your robes and make them white in the blood of the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. It should go without saying, but we must say it anyway, that if you are one of God's sheep... You don't have the right to act like one of the devil's dogs. Outside are the dogs. And they're not coming in to the new heavens and new earth. They're not coming in to new Jerusalem. They'll never see the new garden, the new city, the new temple. Only those who wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb will see that. And then finally... The exhortation is this, welcome Jesus. Welcome Jesus. Seems like a strange exhortation, but you notice here that the church is saying, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. When I say welcome Jesus, what I mean is you need to add your voice to the prayers of those who are saying, come Lord Jesus. Add your voice to that. Live in such a way that you are looking forward to His coming, not dreading it. Live in such a way that you can welcome Him with open heart and open arms when He comes, not fearing that He might show up on a bad day or in a bad moment. Live in such a way that you will welcome His coming, that you are looking with eager expectation for the day of the Lord, for the moment when He will fulfill His promise to come soon. If you live with that kind of expectation, that kind of hope, it will keep you from despair. It will keep you out of darkness. It will keep you from dread. Welcome Jesus with open arms and an open heart. Now why must we do all these things to prepare ourselves for the coming of Jesus? What is at stake here? Jesus reveals himself in Revelation 22 as the judge of the living and the dead. He says that he is bringing his recompense with him to repay each one for what he has done. And the word for recompense means he's bringing wages and rewards with him to repay each one for what he has done. Now I understand that that can be a terrifying thought for some people. Most of us, and I'm saying that I know you well enough to say this, most of us are humble enough to know that we probably don't deserve very much at all, if anything. If, if anything, we think if he's bringing wages and rewards, we're probably going to be in trouble. 
And we feel that way and think that way in the moments when we forget the gospel, right? So we hear that Jesus is coming as the judge of the living and the dead, and immediately the gospel flees from our hearts and minds, and we think, I'm exposed, I'm going to be in real big trouble here. Well, I want you to remember the gospel, first of all, that all of your sins are remitted, are washed away, are cleansed from you by the blood of the Lamb. So none of your sins will be counted against you. When Jesus is coming to bring His recompense, to repay each one for what He has done, this has to do with the way He is either going to reward people or punish people. Reward those who are His people with various gifts and punish those who are not His people with various gifts of punishment, various wages of punishment, I should say. And so the notion of punishment should not be something that scares you who are in Christ. Remember the gospel, that you are united to Jesus, you're following the Lamb into the new heavens and new earth. All of your sins have been dealt with at the cross. The blood of Christ has cleansed you. The Spirit dwells in you. You are sealed for redemption. You have nothing to fear on the day of judgment. But you have much to look forward to if you are in Christ. And that's where this notion of rewards comes in. When Jesus comes, He will give to each one of us according to what we have done as individuals, not simply as a community, although that might be great as well. He might bless one community in one way and another in a different way. But here, Jesus has in mind in this vision, individual rewards. Jesus is coming to judge everyone rightly and justly and fairly, and He will reward each and every faithful servant according to what that servant has done. And He will punish each and every unfaithful sinner according to what that unfaithful sinner has done. And what we learn here is that not all rewards are equal and not all punishments are equal. So to put it in perspective for you, some of you are going to be greatly rewarded. Some of you will be rewarded in ways that I'm not going to be rewarded for your sacrifice and service. It doesn't mean you're going to be more saved than I am or more saved than other people are. It just simply means that Jesus takes note of your sacrifice and service and He will reward you accordingly. It is not in vain. Likewise, as we look around the world and we see brothers and sisters in dire straits suffering for the cause of the gospel, not just losing property and possessions, but even losing their lives, it would only be right and fair for them to receive a greater reward than some of us who live by God's grace in more comfort and security. He is coming with His recompense, and He will repay each one according to what He has done. Those saints that we saw earlier in the book of Revelation who lost their heads, literally, for the faith in Christ, who were under the altar crying out, How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? They will be rewarded in ways that others who did not lose their heads will be rewarded. All of us will be rewarded in some way but some of us in more ways, perhaps even better ways than others. And this has nothing to do with whether one person will be more saved or, or uh, more saved than another. No, we'll all be saved in Christ, but once we're saved, 
then the gifts begin to come out. I want you to think about that this week. Think about how you're living and what kind of reward you desire. Pursue it. Work for it. Do it for the glory of God. Do it for the good of others. And if you're feeling a little weirded out right now, saying, no, no, I just believe in grace alone and faith alone and works have nothing to do with it, then come see me afterwards and I'll twist your arm and try to show you how you need to work in a way to please the Lord. Give yourselves to the ministry, the service, and sacrifice of Christ. Finally, we come to the benediction. Notice in this benediction, we, three times you have a benediction. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Blessed are those who wash their robes. And then finally, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with all. I want you to think about that last phrase. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. What is the highest good and the greatest blessing that anyone can receive? It must be the grace of Jesus. Of all the things he could have said, this is what he extends at the very end of this vision. And the vision of Jesus' second coming, again, often stirs up fear and loathing in people. But for those of us who've put our trust in Christ, it should stir emotions of faith and love. Why? Because for them, the day and the hour of His coming will not be a time of terror and dread, but it will be a time of delight and transformation. The book of Revelation closes in much the same way it opens. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. That's at the beginning. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. That's also from the beginning. And you hear how the book ends in that same way. Grace from Jesus are the bookends of this vision. I hope and pray that we will make every effort to prepare ourselves for the coming of the Lord. That we will live in light of this glorious promise. That we will look forward to the coming of our sovereign Lord and majestic Savior. And I hope the promise of His coming will shape and reshape our lives beginning today and going forward. We need to live in light of eternity, in light of the promise of the coming of Jesus. I'd like to end with a prayer from the Valley of Vision. And this is a prayer that is actually called the Second Coming. And I would like for us to use it as our prayer as we seal this message in our hearts. Let us pray together. <clears throat> Thou wast incarnate, did suffer, rise, ascend for my sake. Thy departure was not a token of separation, but a pledge of return. Thy word, promises, sacraments, show thy death until thou come again. That day is no horror to me, for thy death has redeemed me. Thy spirit fills me, thy love animates me, 
thy word governs me. I have trusted thee, and thou hast not betrayed my trust, waited for thee, and not waited in vain. Thou wilt come to raise my body from the dust and reunite it to my soul. By a wonderful work of infinite power and love, greater than that which bounds the ocean's waters, ebbs and flows the tides, keeps the stars in their courses, and gives life to all creatures, this corruptible shall put on incorruption, this mortal immortality, this natural body a spiritual body, this dishonored body a glorious body, this weak body a body of power. I triumph now in thy promises as I shall do in their performance, for the head cannot live if the members are dead. Beyond the grave is resurrection, judgment, acquittal, dominion. Every event and circumstance of my life will be dealt with. The sins of my youth, my secret sins, the sins of abusing thee, of disobeying thy word, the sins of neglecting ministers' admonitions, the sins of violating my conscience, all will be judged. And after judgment, peace and rest, life and service, enjoyment and enjoyment, for thine elect. O God, keep me in this faith and ever looking for Christ's return. Amen.